Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. And Jared and Mack, I did not get this invite. They are together uh, t- today. So there's no video because we don't have a camera that can accommodate two people. But apparently I missed out on the uh, hangout sesh. But uh, nonetheless, welcome to the show. We're going to do a mailbag. Um, we've got a lot of questions there. How many questions did you get? And I guarantee every single one of them probably had to deal with coaching search related. For starters, the reason Jared and I are in the same place is because I I had someone cutting a tree down in front of my building and uh, it was both loud and also knocked out my internet. So uh, I felt like we didn't want to not, we felt like we wanted me to have internet and uh, not have a tree being cut out in the background. So little explanation for that. We got a lot of questions and uh, every single one is about coaching search, which is honest. I would be stunned if it was like, yeah, there's a lot of men's basketball in here. Yeah. People want to know about Alamo Bowl matchups like that doesn't really compute right now, considering there's much larger things at hand. And we're going to talk all coaching search for however long it takes to get through this. I accidentally picked a seventh question. So you guys are going to be treated to a little extra mailbag today. And by the way, we're back to our original Wednesday mailbag, which we did for how long was that, Matt? Like three, four years maybe of Wednesday yeah, mailbags? Right around that period. Yeah. So it's we're been back a while. To this. So when, yeah. So we're, uh, we're, we've moved off Monday because Monday was the day Mario Cristobal left. Now we're doing Wednesday. And let's get into questions. All right. First from at David underscore Strahan. What are the top three to five traits that you want to see the next Duck head coach bring to the table? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. By the way, I believe we have near consensus on using the hashtag for this podcast. So good on you listeners for using the hashtag. Makes my job a lot easier. Um, We can all go around and talk about some traits. Um, I think clearly I'd like to see somebody with head coaching experience would be a place that I'd start. Um, That doesn't mean I wouldn't, that I'd exclude like a super top tier coordinator. Um, but I think Oregon needs some stability, and I prefer somebody who's at least shown they can do it for probably a minimum of three to six years um, would be my preference. Uh, obviously, you want somebody who's been successful. I think you want somebody who's been at least an assistant at a really top-tier program who's at least been a, in, around a school with the caliber that Oregon is. Um, I'm still probably leaning more towards somebody with some sort of West Coast ties just because we've seen two straight coaches leave that didn't. I will also say if your pie in the sky candidate doesn't have West Coast ties and he can provide you four more years of really high-end football, like kind of like what we saw from Mario Cristobal. And even we should note Chip Kelly before coming to Oregon as an offensive coordinator did not have West Coast ties. Like you take that, but um, just some things that are on my mind. I like to see someone with head coaching experience with experience at a, a big time school like in Oregon. Um, and then I would I would prefer somebody with West Coast ties, but that's probably the one I'm I'm least sold on. And I guess just from a stylistic perspective, I've kind of talked myself into saying it's been decades of offensive-minded coaches at Oregon. We did have a listener point out that Rich Brooks was a defensive-minded coach, so that's the, the most recent um, coach that was not an offensive coach. So I, I would be open to somebody with some defensive ties. Obviously, to me, that's that's not a that's not like a I, I can move on if it's if it is somebody who's an offensive coach, obviously. But th- that's the thing that's on my mind of defense in college football to me feels I don't want to say it's harder to perfect or harder to be at a high level, but it is more rare where you see a team dominate with defense than, than with offense, at least in the current way the game is built. Um, I, I, I would like a coach that has succeeded um, and won at the power five level or, you know, like a, a obvious or at, at the, the top of the top, like a Luke fickle of Cincinnati would qualify in my eyes because he's made the college football playoff. Now um, they had an amazing season last year as well. Um, obviously this wouldn't happen, but you know, prior to his departure to LSU, um, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, he's not a power five head coach, but he is. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have to have this guy be an, uh, a head coach. I'm okay if they go out and they find someone that is an offensive coordinator um, at Alabama or Georgia, um, Michigan, 
you know, schools that Ohio State, schools that are um, competing for the playoff this year or schools that have previously and consistently compete for the college football playoff. And that coach, if he's a coordinator, also be a proven recruiter, you know, right. be able to, to be able to, to know the game and, and have success on the recruiting trail. Ideally, a head coach has to have experience as a head coach, but it's not a deal breaker for me. What I don't want if I'm Oregon is to go and hire like the Coastal Carolina head coach. He's never coached at the power five level as a head coach or coordinator. Um, he's young. He's never had to recruit at that type of a level. Um, and, and I only using that him as an example, not that he's being linked to the job, but that's what I don't want is sure. someone who hasn't been at the power five level and hasn't recruited at the power five level and hasn't coached at the power five level um, in a coordinator or um, a head coach type of a, of a role. I think that's too big of a steep of a, of, of a leap. Um, it, it would bring a ton of questions. It, it may work out maybe, but those are typically, I think hires you make for your coordinators and not for your head coach. If you're Oregon. Agreed. You, Matt, what you're saying is you basically don't want what Auburn did with Brian Harson, exactly and the guy from Boise State, and then hope it works. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, the traits thing, good timing for me. Uh, <laughs> I was in the middle of writing uh, Machinations column, which by the time this podcast will go up, you hopefully will be able to read of my top five coaching candidates. And I listed my top five traits, which are uh, – this, this, this coach has to have either elite offensive or defensive play calling abilities, a high level recruiter, passion or drive in themselves and the program, uh, a culture establisher, and someone who provides the quickest path to victory. Um, just like a quick rundown of those. Um, in college football, this is a personal preference, but I want my head coach to have uh, to be either an elite offensive or defensive play caller. Uh, Mario Cristobal was not that. He was a CEO. He was the Nick Saban, um, the Bill Belichick type, where he hires elite offensive or defensive play callers, or very good, whatever you want to describe them as. But he's in charge of the entire program. And that's not a bad thing. This is a personal preference. I think being a CEO works much better in the National Football League uh, rather than the collegiate sports. Because when you look at other uh, – you know, big schools around the country, like Ryan Day at Ohio State, like he's the OC. He's the guy who's calling plays. Um, so I prefer somebody to have that in their background as an elite play caller. Uh, a high-level recruiter kind of speaks for itself. I didn't say elite because it's hard to be an elite recruiter. We saw it with Mario here at Oregon, but I think there's a reason that behind um, – I'm a big proponent of, like, stars matter when you're recruiting and your overall success of a program. But I think that with the right coaching staff, you can still recruit at a high level and develop and still become a really good team. Passion and drive, again, kind of talks for itself. They need to have the passion of, a, of being a football coach. They can't look at it as a job. They have to look at it as their passion because that's what's going to take you far. Uh, a culture establisher. Um, what do you guys think Oregon's culture is? Because it's kind of gone back and forth the last few years. Right. And if you, if here, here's another question. If I were to ask you guys, what is the culture at Oklahoma? You guys could probably come up with an answer because of what they've had in their past and their history and what they are right now. They haven't really swayed from that. And so I think Oregon's next coach needs to be someone who establishes some type of culture. I don't care what it is. They just have to have something that Oregon can back their name to. And lastly, the quickest path to victory, it's pretty simple. Uh, Mario Cristobal brought in uh, you know, three, four straight top 15 classes, three straight best in the Pac-12. Um, this 2022 class prior to the decommits was a top, another top 10 class. That's a lot of talent on this roster. And a lot of the best players who are coming back are young. And whoever comes in is going to inherit that roster, um, barring transfers and things like that. But it's still going to be talented. And um, I think Oregon needs to bring in somebody who's going to immediately be capable of winning. Good list, Jared. Um, Oregon's culture, it's a good question. It's shifted a lot, right? <clears throat> I think 
the successes that they've when, they've when they've reached their height, they had pretty clear identities as football team. Mm-hmm. Um, under Chip Kelly, it was based upon that offense. And that it was a at that time kind of a breathtaking breakthrough offense. Um, Mark Helfrich extended that obviously as an extension of Chip Pilate or Chip Pilate, Chip Kelly. <laughs> Chip I've never made that mistake before. I've never. I don't even think in casual conversation. It's a good um, name. So go me, uh, Chip Pilate. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe for some. Um, and then Romario Cristobal was physicality, it was toughness, it was overcoming adversity. Those were the type of things that he kind of really built the program on, the one and no mentality. The one and no mentality. Um, you're right. The next person's going to have to establish a culture. They have to be someone who's capable of that. I think it's pretty telling in the past. Like, wh- why did Mark Helfrich and Willie Taggart maybe not succeed at a high level? I don't think either really brought a unique culture with them or a unique identity to the program. I mean, Willie, Willie Taggart's catchphrase was do something, which is about as open-ended and as, <laughs> as, 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 as lack of direction as you could possibly have for basically any sort of <laughs> statement um, or command. So I think you want somebody who has a pretty clear idea of who they are and what they want to do. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a catchphrase. You don't need to row the boat necessarily. But somebody who knows who they are, I think that's a really good point, Jared. And, and obviously, if they know who they are and they know who they are as a coach, that translates, I think, um, to the program because they're able to convey that effectively. Obviously. Um, I thought Mario Cristobal had done a tremendous job until the end of his time here of establishing that. And I think the players clearly built bought into it. And that's why even when this year with the backs against the wall with so many injuries, they were able to compete and win football games at a high level. Next one from at TJ Intergard. Hashtag odds and audibles. There's a sense that some players on the team are pulling for Brian McClendon to become the permanent head coach. Is there a reality where history repeats itself from Cristobal to McClendon. On the one hand, I like the idea. On the other, is it too emotional? Um, this is a good question from TJ. We've seen since Brian was promoted on Monday, late evening, I think, um, a lot of players push for this, which sort of feels similar. Not, not sort of, it does feel similar to what happened with Mario Cristobal after Willie Taggart left. Do you remember a bunch of offensive linemen from you know, Shane Lemieux and Jake Hansen's and I think Tyrell Crosby was on that team as well. We're kind of pushing for Mario to be, you know, the head coach. And we've seen mm-hmm. it started with wide receivers like Dante Thornton, I think Troy Franklin pushing for it. And we've now seen like Mace Funa and several other players. I'm sure that I'm, I'm missing numerous names, but kind of also kind of lobby for the promotion from the receivers coach. Um, the continuity perspective is, is why I think this is an intriguing idea. The recruiting part, there would be some sort of ability to, I mean, this, if he was your head coach, you'd probably have the best bet of retaining your entire recruiting class. Um, I personally have some skepticism of this. Um, I, I think Mario had head coaching experience when he was promoted. Brian McClendon does not. Um, Mario had worked under Nick Saban, who's pretty darn good at pretty developing good. head coaches. And, and, and I think like we that. saw a really big step up for Mario as a program builder and leader because of that. Um, I'm not saying Brian McClendon hasn't had good mentorship. Um, he worked under Mario Cristobal. He worked under Will Muschamp. Those are some I mean, Muschamp, maybe not as much, but those are like coaches who've shown that they can win at a, a pretty high level throughout their careers. Um, I also would say like this feels like another one of those convenient paths, which is something I touched in an article I wrote last night of, and even talked about on the podcast last couple of days. I'm not necessarily here for the convenient hire. I don't think that should be a, uh, you know, you're, you're making a hire for the long term. You're not making it because it's the easy choice. And I would guard against that. I will also say Oregon has a real extensive history of doing this and promoting from within. Mike Bellotti was the offensive coordinator before Rich Brooks left and Bellotti was promoted as head coach. Chip Kelly, same thing. Mark Helfrich, same thing. Mario Cristobal, same thing. I mean, this is the track record here has been, you're the offensive coordinator, you have a pretty good shot at getting the job. We should know Brian McClendon is not Oregon's offensive coordinator. He is the interim head coach. He had been the wide receiver coach prior to that. Um, He does have offensive coordinating experience. And I'm gonna toss this to Jared because you were looking through some of the data before Mm -hmm. we started recording. I will note that McClendon's time at South Carolina as offensive coordinator was not good. It was to the point where he was actually demoted from that responsibility. And that doesn't mean he can't be a good offensive coordinator or he can't be a good head coach. I just think you have to be kind of wary of that part of his background. Yeah, McClendon at South Carolina was the offensive coordinator from 2018 and the 2019 season. Uh, 2018 actually wasn't a bad year for him. Uh, 
South Carolina itself went seven and six in the SEC, four and four in the SEC specifically under Will Muschamp. But their offense averaged 30, 30 points a game, which was 57th in the country, uh, well over 420 yards per game. Actually, you know, they played well. It's just that their defense was giving up more yards than they than they gained. So that obviously doesn't help. Um, they had a decent passing attack, averaging over two and a half touchdowns a game, uh, 61% from their quarterback. Um, but what really took McClendon down was their 2019 season, where they averaged 22.4 points a game, which is 104th in the country. So that's minus eight in terms of points per game. Uh, they, their offense as a whole averaged 372 yards total, which is minus 50 yards a game. Uh, their quarterback play, their percentage completions dipped by 5%. Total yards dipped by 50 yards a game. Touchdowns, one and a half. This team just wasn't a great offensive team, and they were 4-8, and eight, and that's kind of what happens. And because of those offensive issues mcclendon was um like eric said relegated and oregon then took him on as a wide receiver coach um to answer the overall question from tj and tiger in tiger that's yeah. what it was. Oh, that's so much <laughs> better. i was like i was like that's a weird last name but go tj um no question okay to answer the question in general um i don't anticipate this happening i think there is a lot of a lot of push from some players, um, mostly wide receivers, uh, his position group, which shouldn't come as a surprise to have McClendon become the head coach. I think that is, I just, I think that's almost too safe of a hire. There's no real, I don't know. There's, I, I don't understand the logic behind it. Well, what's the upside is my question. He's young. Mm-hmm. He's 37. He's had, Coaching experience at some really big schools like so kind of like Georgia. He was the interim head coach in 2016 for their champ for their uh, excuse me their bowl game and for Georgia. But other than that, I just think it's peculiar to promote a wide receiver coach to head coach. And I think Oregon um, has shown that they're willing to spend money, like I've been saying in the last couple of podcasts. Um, and again, with that type of money, if they're willing to spend that on presumably anybody they can get a call from almost anybody in the country. So why this goes back to what I've been saying the last couple of days as well. Why go with the safe hire and Justin Wilcox or Chip Kelly or Brian McClendon and why not try to go land a big fish? Um, and yeah, like, like Eric pointed out, this has become a trend with Oregon. The last couple of their coaching hires is just promoting whoever's offensive coordinator. Um, Joe Moorhead's not here anymore. Not an option. Um, which I also wouldn't have wanted to do. Um, no disrespect to, to Coach Moorhead, great dude, but I think he's much better as an offense coordinator than he is as a head coach, and that's just kind of how some people are wired. Um, so for McClendon, it's also just such a small sample size. He's only going to be the interim for one game, presumably, if they hire a new coach. Which they will. Which they will. And it's so I, I just think it's too emotional of a decision, like TJ said in the question, where um, you hire him to be your head coach. I'd like to see him retained on staff. He's done an excellent job recruiting wide receivers and developing wide receivers as well. Um, he's going to be important. So, and I think that was a specific move to keep him as interim head coach. And the fact that we haven't mentioned, but Tim DeRuiter and Marcel Yates are off to Lubbock, go. Texas, for to coach Texas Tech. So that's another reason why McClendon was named as interim. Uh, I... Make this simple. I don't think it happens. I don't expect it happens. I would be shocked if it happens. And if it does, it's because Oregon went way down the list of its candidates and could not find someone to become its head coach, which would be a bigger problem than it happening. Um, I agree with Jared that McClendon absolutely needs to be one of the coaches that is is retained or Oregon's head, new head coach tries to retain uh, for his new staff. Um, he's well-liked within the program. He's well-liked within the athletic department. He's a very good recruiter. Uh, he is very tied into this recruiting class as it is now and would be one of those good piece, uh, people to carry over um, for a transition. Um, I think there are a couple of coaches that fit that bill. Joe Salavea is another one. Um, I think Ken Wilson can be another one of those as well. 
Um, I would also argue uh, Rod Chance would be another guy that would make sense in that. So I, I, I do not expect him to be head coach um, to replace Mario Cristobal. And so instead of spending more time on that, I'm going to do what I should have done at the beginning of the podcast <laughs> and remind anyone that's listening, you can set, you, you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com right now for 50% off. 50% off your subscription. Uh, hundreds of people have been doing it the last couple of days. I strongly consider you guys to jump in on this, take advantage of it, um, because it's an exciting time and you want to stay in the loop. All right, we're moving on here. And by the way, I should note that I'll be curious if McClendon gets a real look at offensive coordinator. Some of that will depend upon who the ultimate head coach is and, mm-hmm. and if that person maybe has a, a coordinator in mind from a previous stop or or whatnot. But I think that's something to watch there is, is maybe you retain him not just as receiver's coach. I would say you probably need to promote him at least to, to passing game coordinator or, or give sure. him some sort of additional um, Make title. Him assistant head coach. Yeah, something something to keep him happy. That does always come with um, added pay as well. And that might think, again, he's a priority, I think, for Oregon. Absolutely. I would say if there's one coach on the staff you have to keep, he would be the one that I would say um, is a must. Third one from at Prince Puddles. Does the Lincoln Riley hire at USC change how Oregon approaches their coaching search? Do they need to match USC's splashy hire? Hashtag odds and I actually think this is kind of interesting. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, I should, I don't think Oregon needs to be, let's say reactive and, and go out and hire someone necessarily who is splashy just because USC hired someone splashy. But I think the, um, I guess the way the conference is settled right now is different than it was a couple of weeks ago, because it was very easy for USC when Clay Helton was the head coach and. Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, I mean, they've had a slew of, and Ed Orgeron was an interim coach. They've had a slew of guys who just haven't worked out. Um, Lincoln Riley feels different. I could be wrong. Maybe he'll, he'll, maybe he'll fall flat in his face. It would surprise me considering the success he had at Oklahoma. Um, the things I talked about at the beginning of the show of, of, of why, what I'm looking for in a trade and Oregon's head coach, Lincoln Riley would check like every one of those boxes besides the defensive coaching thing. Um, but like this, this guy is a very successful coach. So, Oregon, I think, does have to be – I don't want to say – again, I don't think they have to hire a flashy coach just to to kind of respond to what USC is doing. But you have to be aware that there could be kind of a shift in in power here now that USC has hired somebody who's very much a legitimate coach and very much could put them in position not just to win division and conference championships in the Pac-12, but also to aspire for something greater for the first time in, honestly, about a decade. USC has been a sleeping giant out west, and – they're kind of, it feels like at least, and again, it's really early, like well, Riley's been hired a week probably. So we don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but they're, you'd assume they're going to start kind of waking up. So um, I guess my answer is I don't think you ever hire a coach because of what a divisional or conference rival does. But I think you also have to be aware of like, this is a really, really important hire. And if you miss on this hire, you're not only costing yourself um success potentially but you're you could hand usc an advantage that you can't take back for some time because once usc asserts itself as the alphas on the west like they did for decades before oregon did it's hard to wrestle that power back and it requires almost incompetence from usc i mean not to diminish what oregon did while usc was down but usc did themselves no favors with its head coaches i mean they really just missed on a bunch of guys in a row and assuming this one lands it's not going to be easy to keep usc down so um, if Oregon misses on their hire, like let, let's just talk about it like this. USC missed on a bunch of hires after Pete Carroll. I'm not saying Mario Cristobal's Pete Carroll. Um, Mario Cristobal did not win national championships. But the coaches that followed were uninspiring and didn't do well. And if the response to losing Mario Cristobal is to hire somebody who has significant um, issues and it doesn't go well, it's going to take a it's going to take a longer time to catch up to USC if they're able to in the future here. Because USC, I think, is positioning itself to be really, really strong for years to come. Assuming this thing with Riley works out, which you just don't know. I just, I'll go. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's confusing as having somebody in person now. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, go ahead. I don't think I don't think uh, you worry about what the other schools in your conference did. And that be the full reason of what you do. You you go out and you make a hire that reciprocates a, a top ten program. Um, you know you, you don't. I don't think you if USC hires 
an up and coming hot shot, you know, offensive coordinator or, or not offensive coordinator, but you know, offensive minded coach like Lincoln Riley. I don't think you go out and say we have to sign, you know, a coach that goes in line with his his scheme and his style. Um, or you go and find, you know, Dave Aranda is is someone that's given Lincoln Riley fits um, in his time. And I don't think it's, hey, we just need to go hire that guy because he he is giving Lincoln Riley problems. You go hire Lincoln, you go hire a coach because he fits your culture, he fits your team, he fits your vision of what you want to be as a head coach because it doesn't really matter what scheme they run, what style they run, um, their culture, their, their philosophies. If you believe that they can succeed at Oregon and if what succeeding at Oregon means is winning conference championships, competing for the college football playoff. And if you succeed at a high level at Oregon, you're going to beat Lincoln Riley. You're going to have a hire that's going to, that's going to be on par of what Lincoln Riley did. And, and so much of, I think what USC fell into a trap of the last couple of seasons or last couple of coaching hires was they tried to make the splashy hire instead of trying to make the correct hire. And they tried to win the press conference in the first 90 days of a coaching career, instead of winning the 90 days in the fall when the games are being played. And that led to the, in part, it's not the only reason, but in part, the downfall at USC. And so don't fall into that, hey, you need to win the press conference. You need to find the best possible candidate. I mean, look at Dane Altman. He did not win the opening day press conference. He did not win the hiring process when it got announced. Oh, my gosh, that's who Oregon hired? Who is Dana Altman? But he was the right hire, and they've had the, the most consistent men's basketball program in the conference since he's been here. I think this is a tough one. I think certainly it has the hiring of Lincoln Riley to USC has impacted how Oregon looks at their potential hire. Lincoln Riley is a home run for USC. That was as good of a hire as they could possibly get. And nobody anticipated that coming until it was probably 12 to 18 hours away. I think it's going to be something that Oregon has to I don't think they can match it. I think it'd be very hard to match it in terms of getting the same type of coach who has the same pedigree and the same history and bring players or excuse me, teams to the coach or to the playoffs, the coach offs. That'd be fun. I love coach offs. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a combination of Oregon needs to make a splashy hire and they need to find somebody who fits their program. Just like what, like Matt, like you were saying with the program fit, but I also think a splashy hire is really important in this instance because this goes back to what I've been saying the last couple of days. I think if they hired Justin Wilcox or Chip Kelly, I think that's lame. I, I don't think that helps the program go. I think Oregon is in such a different category than where they were when Chip Kelly was originally head coach, where it's like, oh, isn't this kind of cute? You got Oregon doing all the spread offense stuff and scoring points, not playing defense, but they're up there. They're They're coming. Um, this is a different era of Oregon football, and they need to capitalize on that. Um, they are still one of, I think, a top 15 job in the country. Um, that's impressive considering there's like 130 um, jobs out there, and this should be an opportunity for Oregon to go make some calls. And even if they get turned down, um, they have the resources. Um, they have some of the best facilities in the country. Uh, they have an unmitigated just uh, background of success. Uh, they're a relatively new program. They are new in terms of, you know, like they're not Oklahoma, they're not Alabama, Georgia, something like that, Notre Dame, where if a coach can come here and if they spend that decade long, the length of a potential contract, um, they can really make a name for themselves here. And I think that's a good selling point. And I think that's what gets you a splashy hire. Uh, again, though, hiring something of hiring somebody of Lincoln Riley's caliber is going to be incredibly difficult because that is an incredible coaching hire. And mm -hmm. it's certainly uh, it should certainly scare a lot of Pac-12 teams. Um, not scare, but, you know, 
strike some influence into how they how they manage themselves in the next few years because that is like Eric was saying that sleeping giant might be waking up really soon and if USC wakes up that's where the conference goes um, Oregon's done a very good job the last few years of positioning so, themselves as the team of the West Coast um, playing in national national games against Ohio State against Auburn uh, Wisconsin and the Rose Bowl um, they've been the team of the West Coast the last few years and put the Pac-12 seemingly on the map again at points because they've been one of the few teams to actually uh, be in the playoff hunt, them in Utah for the most part. Uh, and they need a splashy hire. I just think they need to continue this trend of success. And they have the money to do it. So I think the USC hire has definitely uh, impacted their decision-making process. Here, here's a question you have to ask when you bring up names for replacing Mario Cristobal. Um, if, say, Justin Wilcox, okay? Is Justin Wilcox going to be someone that Utah calls if Kyle Whittingham opens up? Is Justin Wilcox someone that, that Ole Miss is – going to call if Lane Kiffin comes to another goes to another school is Chip Kelly going to be the school that Oklahoma calls if they wanted to hire him to replace Lincoln Riley is Chip Kelly the coach that Houston calls if Dana Holgerson leaves Houston this offseason these are the questions you have to ask because you look at it and say uh, Rob Mullins said that that Oregon is a top 10 program, and I agree with him. I, I think you expand that out to top 20 to be conservative, and you run through the list. Okay, is this a school that – is this a guy that every other top 10, every other top 20 coat program out there would call one, two, or three in the order to replace their current head coach? And if he's not, what is he doing that we see that other schools don't that that would make this a fit? And I don't know if you can say that about Wilcox. I don't know if you can say that about Chip Kelly at UCLA. If this was 2012 and it was UCLA or and it was college football back then, absolutely for Chip. But college football has changed dramatically in the nine years that he has been away from Oregon. 100% made that point yesterday in an article too. I think that's how you have to look at it. If, if, it, if you take away the connections of those coaches to Oregon, is Oregon even considering them? Are they even names that we discuss? And I think the answer for both of them, probably Wilcox particularly, is no. I mean, Wilcox is a below 500 coach in Pac-12 games at Cal. Uh, Chip Kelly is the same thing while at UCLA. So, I mean, these are two coaches who just haven't shown in the same conference that Oregon is in. Different circumstances, Oregon would provide both of them more talent, more resources, better facilities, a better chance to win. I don't necessarily think it's – I don't I don't feel like either of those guys moves the needle enough for me. And that certain neither would certainly qualify as splashy hires, quote-unquote. Um, next one from at Nash underscore Dunier. Are there any former Duck players you could see taking jobs as position coaches slash coordinators with Oregon? If so, what's the likelihood that they're offered slash – Accept a position. Um, two current players that are analysts, or sorry, two current former players who are now analysts at Oregon might be in position coaching perspective in the interim. Something to note: Nate Costa is a senior offensive analyst for Oregon. He has been for almost the entirety of Mark or Mark Cristobal's time here. Former Oregon quarterback Kwame Ajuman, who is a linebacker slash slash safety hybrid player at Oregon um, around the same time that Costa was here has been a defensive analyst for quite some time as well. Um, I could see both of them being candidates to be position coaches when the dust settles. I could see Costa being considered as a quarterback coach or maybe a receivers coach. I could see Adjaman for maybe a job as an outside linebackers coach or a secondary coach of some kind. Um, those are names that, that I think are worth monitoring um, that are currently on staff if they do want to go with some continuity. And and honestly, both those guys have kind of They've waited for this. Like they, they, they put in some time. And so there is some, I think, some viability to the fact that maybe they are considered at least for these positions. Um, uh, guys at other schools 
I'm sure there are numerous. Um, I think Keenan Lowe, Lowe was just brought on in Nebraska as a grad assistant. Um, and I'm going to probably miss half a dozen other guys that have been in position. Shoot, Tony Washington was a grad assistant at Nebraska. He's now on Oregon staff in a non-coaching role as a kind of the leader of some of their cultural stuff. Mario Cristobal brought him on last offseason. Could he be someone that is at least on the radar, maybe to be promoted in an analyst role or something? Because he hasn't been in a position coach. Um, so there, I mean, there's, there's certainly names to monitor. I would also say, I think you have to be careful trying to do, again, the convenient thing and you promote somebody, you hire somebody just because they've been around the program. You want to find the best coaches. And it is a priority that these coaches are, to me, have some coaching experience at that position group have some proven success as recruiters, as analysts, you're not allowed to recruit. So you don't necessarily have a track record with Acosta or an Adjuman or a Lowe or a Washington or any of these names I'm bringing up. Um, this needs to be, and we'll get to some questions here in a moment about recruiting. Um, Oregon needs to bring in a all-star recruiting staff. Mm -hmm. Mario Cristobal did that. Willie Taggart did that. The results were notable. Both set Oregon up for success. When Willie Taggart left, it was the number one rated recruiting class in the country, or at least it had been a few months before. Mario Cristobal had Oregon. Everybody knows where they were with him. To continue that trend, you need assistant coaches that are really, really good. And so my priority as assistant staff really will be largely contingent upon experience as coaches and also experience as recruiters. And the names I mentioned, and maybe Matt or Jared will have a couple that, that I haven't who do have some experience as coaches, um, but the current guys I'm mentioning don't have that. Matt, do you, I mean, like, we'll toss it to you, Matt, because I guess we'll go in this order. Um, are there names that I've missed or any names that you think I'm just that are obvious and that you think should be connected to jobs? Yeah, I, I think there's one for sure. Um, but the issue is, is do can you pry him away from the NFL? And that is Michael Clay. Um, mm -hmm. Good one. He is the special teams coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and the Eagles have, I don't, I don't want to say that they are a top five special teams, but I was running through the stats while you were talking and they don't really have anything below middle of the pack. They have stuff, uh, from a stat standpoint, from a rating standpoint in the upper third of the league, but they're not, I wouldn't look at it and say from a quick standpoint that they are a terrible special teams unit. Um, I think you have to go to him and, and say, Hey, do you want to come back home and do you want to coach linebackers? Um, do you want to be the special teams coordinator at Oregon? Um, but I don't know if it's a, I don't know if you can say that um, he would automatically just come because he's mm -hmm. starting to work mm -hmm. his way up through the ranks of, of the NFL world. And it's very difficult to pry people away from the NFL to come to the college, especially when they've, been in, in that circle for a little bit's time and, and they don't have to worry about the recruiting. That's a very difficult move. Um, I do think you need to look at um, Andre Crenshaw. He is the running backs coach at South Dakota state. And um, they have had success at running back with him there. Um, their starting running back is, a Walter Payton Award finalist, which is given out to um, – it's an FCS award, I believe, that is given out to the offensive – the best offensive player at the FCS level. So he's, he's doing something right at an FCS school. Um, I don't know if you can sit here and say that – Andre Crenshaw needs to be hired and needs to be the offensive coordinator. No, it's the running backs coach is what he would be. But you also then have to ask yourself, okay, does Andre Crenshaw bring something to the table besides just being an Oregon duck right. that we can't find in somebody else? Um, but I, I think that's one that, that would also make a lot of sense. Now the issue is, is um, he has, no experience coaching above the FCS level. So recruiting is a wonder here. You know, what, how would that transfer over? I mean, his previous stops are Dakota, Westland, Moorhead State, and Tennessee Tech. And now he's at um, South Dakota State. So, and, and that's not to say that you can't be, a, you, you can't make that jump, but there's, 
that's where I say like he's he's going to be nothing more than a running backs coach at Oregon at least initially. But I think those are two names that you at least have to kind of consider maybe if if you want your focus to be we want Oregon guys we want to we want to know we want to bring in people that that know this program. Those are two people that were here when Oregon was making the college football uh, when Oregon was making the BCS championship games. They were making the BCS. Uh, New, you know the the BCS bowl games and competing for for national championships. I mean, I don't have any names to provide for this. Uh, my knowledge is still growing when it comes to Oregon athletics and specifically Oregon football. Um, but I will say that Matt, you made a good point talking about like, is there anything that somebody can bring to the program that they don't already have, other than being a former Oregon player? Um, right. I think that's a hard line to to cross into or cross cross behind, basically, um, because it's a lot easier to hire the guy because he's an alumni and he knows the area and he knows somewhat of the culture that this school provides. Um, but it's really difficult to tell that person no, because they don't provide something that they don't already have from someone that they hired from Michigan State or whoever they did. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's all I got. I don't have any names, but I think it is an important note to, to talk about, well, does this duck player have anything more than just being a former duck? Right. No, I, I think good names, by the way, Matt, I, I wasn't aware of Andre, what he was doing. I knew, but Michael Clay, I should have brought him up earlier. Um, both those guys, I mean, Clay was a fantastic linebacker at Oregon and Crenshaw was a lesser player, but there's something to be said of someone like Michael Clay, who obviously meant a lot to this program, looking at coming back if that's an option. And he does have more, I guess, requisite coaching experience to consider. Um, I apologize because I think we've done this multiple times. This next question is gonna be a repeat question asker. And it's my fault for maybe rushing through this, but credit to Prince Puddles. I think this is the third time, by the way, he's gotten two on in a show. He can correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. I know he's, I think it's happened at least once, but. We're giving you another one because we liked your first question. Way to ask good questions, I guess. Um, but this one from Prince Puddles again. Would Oregon consider hiring Dante Williams back to help with recruiting against Lincoln Riley at USC? Hashtag Um, I think this one's notable because Dante Williams, we talked about, we just talked about the value and importance of this assistant coaching staff being ace recruiters. And Dante Williams has proven to be the ace recruiter West. He's been, uh -huh. I think, the top recruiting assistant coach on the Pac-12 three straight years. One of those years was at Oregon. Um, he has some experience here. I will also say he is a opportunist. I'm not trying to be overly critical. You can be if you want to. I'm trying to be careful how I say this. He is somebody that jumps around, jumps around, jumps around, jumps around. There's no history almost of longevity at all with him at stops. And uh, I know that there was maybe some feathers ruffled with the way things kind of have transpired the last couple of years. I don't know, maybe Matt, do you disagree? I don't know if that's a fit. If you go, if you're just talking about what does he bring to the table, the guy's an awesome recruiter, and I have no doubts he would. If he was at Oregon again, he would help in recruiting. I just kind of wonder if he's burnt maybe a bridge or two too many to to really for that to feel viable. Am, am I off base on that matter? Do you think this is something that could happen? Um, I mean, the person he maybe hypothetically yeah. burned the bridge with is no longer here. Fair. So, um, I mean, I, I, I would not hire Dante Williams as your defensive coordinator. Um, no, 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 no. I would not hire. Um, I, I, I think you have to explore the idea because if it is a Justin Wilcox, let's, say, let's go down that hypothetical road here. If it is Justin Wilcox, he needs to – go out and hire some dudes that are very good recruiters and have a track record of being a very good recruiter. He has one on staff right now, Keith Hayward. Um, I, I, but I would, I would, I would have to say that they would need to go out and they would need to be, bring people that know the West coast, that know how to recruit nationally, that know how to be able to navigate the recruiting waters. And Dante does. So I think you have to consider, um, and it just goes back to like what the previous question was from an Oregon standpoint. Is it only Dante because he came to Oregon and he had success here, or is it 
truly because you feel like he's the best job, the best guy for the job, or can you go find someone across college football that can replicate what Dante Williams did at Oregon? Um, I don't know that answer. Um, I'm sure there are names out there that would move the needle just as much as Dante. I don't have them off the top of my head, but I will say recruiting is all about effort. It's all about becoming, being, being able to relate to people and then being able to put forth the effort to recruit at a high level. Because when Ken Wilson was hired at Oregon, he was not known nationally to be this amazing recruiter. He was not somebody that we thought of as this superstar recruiter in the conference. The same could be said about Alex Mirabal when he came from Marshall. The same could be said about Rod Chance when he came from Minnesota. And all three of those guys are the top three recruiters in the conference right now, this okay. season. You go back and you look at 2021, and you go and look in the, in the Pac-12 conference. Mirabal is two. Mastro is three. He was another one that did not have that reputation. Rod Chance is sixth in the conference. Ken Wilson is eighth in the conference. And then naturally, if you go to 2020 and you just look you know, across the, the country, you're going to find a couple guys in the top 30-ish, top 40 range nationally. And then you're going to look in the conference and you're going to see Ken Wilson again in the top three. So I think Ken Wilson is a perfect example of someone that knows how to relate to people, knows how to identify talent, and then paired with the Oregon football brand and the ability to recruit the best players in the country, you can, as, a, as an individual coach, just explode on the scene as one of those air quote high profile recruiters. Yeah, man, those are, those are really good points. Um, because uh, like you're saying, a lot of the staff that Mario brought on weren't necessarily known as the best recruiters. Um, they got, more notable as time went on and Mario established himself at Oregon and established the program in general as being a high caliber power five program. Uh, in terms of just hiring back uh, Dante Williams, I don't know. It's a tough one because he has certainly burned some bridges. Uh, you, I'm sure if you have paid attention the last few years, you've heard certain stories about how he's recruited against Oregon. Um, with uh, at his time at USC, that might have burned bridges. Um, but there is one thing to, to talk about with Dante Williams, and that guy is a recruiter. Mm -hmm. If you want somebody who has really good Southern Californian ties, that should probably be your guy. And especially with the secondary and the defensive players and wide receivers, even um, he's really good at, at his job in terms of recruiting. And he's not a bad coach either. I've heard from uh, former players say that they really enjoyed Dante Williams as a coach and that he was um, that they were sad to see him go. Um, he's intense. He's fierce. He's competitive. He's somebody who, when you look back on, you'll be like, yeah, that was a guy who was probably perfect for Mario Cristobal's staff. Um, hiring him specifically just to recruit against Lincoln Riley would be a little weird. That's not really like a, a, a team works. No, it's not a team fit, but it would certainly do some damage down there. Um, and again, is, is he officially out at SC? I don't think so. That's I haven't seen anything. Seen, I mean, I haven't I haven't read anything that says he isn't at least at least officially not going to be on the Trojan staff. I think it seems likely he won't based upon the fact that he wasn't hired. But we find that out. I did have a thought here just before we move on to the last couple. Um, part of me wonders. We talk about the and Matt did a great job of, of, of uh, pulling up the Pac-12 conference assistant coaching. Uh, recruiting rankings, which I think is a really valuable asset. And if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't gone and look at it, go take it, take a peek at it on the site. Um, you can find it under football recruiting tab. Uh, part of me does wonder the success of a Ken Wilson or a Jim Mastro or even Alex Mirabal as a recruiter. How much of that is dependent upon how good of a head coach they had as a recruiter? Sure. And how much of that is Mario Cristobal's impact as a recruiter? And how well will those two, specifically the two we think might stay, because Alex Mirabal, is, I think, pretty clearly going to Miami with Mario Cristobal, but if Mastro and Wilson are retained, do they continue to have the same kind of recruiting success or some of that just um, dependent upon the way Mario recruited? Do you have data on that? 
on, uh, on Dante? Oh, uh, he hasn't thought about it. He talked about it after the Cal game. He says, I'm not even thinking about that right now. Okay, So cool. he is still there. That's code there. for I haven't heard yet if I'm staying on or not. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Matt. Okay, uh, last couple. I'm going to throw this one right to you, Matt, because you're the recruiting guy. This is from uh, at inf33, <laughs> hashtag ats and audibles. Do you think we lose all or most 2022 recruits? We should know Oregon <laughs> has lost several already. Um, all feels all of them like a lot. Just, all of oh them. That's, that's harsh. That's mean. Yeah, what, what do you think? No, they're not going to lose all of them. <laughs> um, I, I think sure? realistically, you have to be concerned about McMillan. You have to be concerned about the Jalils, Jalil Tucker, Jalil Florence. Um, I think you have to be concerned about Grayson Howland and Harrison Taggart. Um, you have to be concerned about Cameron Williams and Landon Holoby and Steven Johnson. Um, I, I, I think the other group, Devin Jackson, Dave Ululi, um, Trey John Williams, Ben Roberts, Marion Winston, um, Andre Dollar, Michael Wooten, and Sir Mills are probably guys that will sign with Oregon. I, I would expect a, a good chunk of those will sign with Oregon here in about a week or so, regardless of who the Oregon hires as their head, head coach. Matt, really quick, do you think would, would they sign if there is no head coach in place? I think some think of them could. I think like a, a Trey John Williams – um, an Amarion Winston, um, a Sir Mills, um, those guys probably will sign. Um, I do think you have an opportunity to keep most of these commits, and you probably have an opportunity to go out and maybe get one commit back. Or maybe go out and that you lost a Kelvin Banks, a DJ Dudley, a, a Tanner Bailey. I don't think it's likely all three of them come back. It's very unlikely. I think you maybe have a chance to maybe sway one of them, maybe, to come back. But I, w- I personally don't think it happens. But the possibility is there. And then I think you have an option depending on who you hire. I think you could go out and you could make a couple splashy gets here in the last, you know, couple weeks. Um, or in January and signing when that signing day or not January, February, when that second signing period comes. And I think I, I still think right now a top 20 recruiting class, it should be the expectation for Oregon. I think that's as good as an expectation as you can have. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be again, this this class is very top heavy in terms of the talent at the top is some of the best in the country. And from there, it's a pretty steep drop off in terms of recruiting rankings. And I honestly, I would just say talent. Um, so this, it's going to be difficult for Oregon to get back to where they were. I don't ever anticipate them, uh, specifically this class, getting back into that top 10 threshold. Um, I know that they fought like tooth and nail to get Kelvin Banks to just commit to Oregon. And um, it almost worked. It was, it was close, like two weeks short. Um, but so I would imagine he's gone, uh, which certainly hurts Oregon's recruiting rankings and um, the, their future potential left tackle, which would have been cool. But uh, it all depends on who Oregon hires, um, to me personally, for recruiting. And I would hope that they have someone by the end of this week where they have some time to secure commitments and sometimes to – um, reinforce the fact that this is the pro- the direction that a, that this program is heading to, and right. try to hold on for uh, for dear life for some of these kids. I, I think it's not only retainment; it's to dissuade them from signing elsewhere now. Yes, because right. if you give yourself a chance, if you go hire a coach who who maybe is an an ace recruiter, and you're able to say, "Hey, I know signing days and." Whatever, whatever Oregon makes this decision, which I think will be before signing day. But if you if you can make contact and say, hey, you were committed here. We absolutely want you to be a part of this class. I understand if you don't want to sign with us on Wednesday because a lot of stuff's moving. Your head's got to be spinning. You don't know me. Let me give me some time to establish this relationship. Give us a shot. And in February, let's see where you're at. And hopefully you end up here. And maybe you end up bringing in a number of these kids for unofficial visits um, to try to right. kind of re-solidify some things. A lot of this is going to come down to the higher. And I do think there's a possibility top top 20. 
that feels like the, the kind of the expectation. If they go and they find whoever this splashiest of splashy hire is, maybe you do kind of at least inch closer to a top 15, top 12 class, just if everything breaks right. But it, it would require a lot of things going right and really just hiring the A-plus candidate, which you never know. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. So, I've been, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I've been kind of surprised that there's only been like three or four mm-hmm. commitments. I think that's been kind of telling. I, I kind of expected it to go how when Willie Taggart left for Florida State, where it was like seven in like the first 48 hours of – the whole uh, new hire process. Um, not to say that there won't be seven more today, but I, I, I think it's a little bit telling, just like what Eric said about how it's only been three people uh, so far. Um, but go ahead, Matt. So when Mark Helfrich was fired and Oregon went out and hired Willie Taggart, Oregon was able to go out and land themselves the 19th best recruiting class in the country. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, when Taggart left and like Jared referenced, there was all those transfers or all those decommitments that happened so fast. Mario Cristobal was then able to turn it around and they landed the 13th best recruiting class in the country. So what I, what I'm saying is, is it's, Look, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna finish top ten. It's probably not gonna happen. They're fairly confident of that. But if they make a hire correctly and they do it in a timely manner, and what Eric laid out, where this coach can prevent hit most of these commits from signing with someone else in December, and then get an opportunity to meet them in January and really develop that strong relationship, they're gonna have a top twenty class. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be now depending upon how good of a class. Is it going to be in the top 15? Is it going to be just outside the top 10? Or is it going to be one where they sneak in at the very last minute and and have the 20th best class in the country? We're going to wrap it up here with, I would say maybe, I don't know if this is true for all of you. This is maybe my favorite question asker just because he always brings some heat and it's always, it's typically kind of bad some levity. So from at duck for quacks, where does Mario Cristobal rank in Oregon football history from a coaching perspective? Is he on the Mount Rushmore or is he in the Willie Taggart bucket of sadness? Hashtag odds and audibles. Hashtag do something. Um, love it. I was, we can maybe, I don't know if everybody's gone through this exercise in their head. I don't have Mario Cristobal on my Mount Rushmore. I will say if he would have completed this year and they would have made the college football playoff. And even if they lost, I might have had him like we've been really close. Um, Mike Bellotti's on it. Rich Brooks is on it. Chip Kelly's on it. I also have Len Casanova on it. Um, really the only historical coach that you can really include here. Oregon's coaching history has been not great pre-1990 or pre-1980s even. Um, they're just The success was not fantastic. This is a program that has really reached new heights in the last 20 or 30 years. Honestly, just in my lifetime. I'm 32 years old and, and Oregon football has been increasingly uh, improving itself, I think, throughout that time period. Not, a, not not crediting crediting myself for that. I have no involvement in how they've performed, but <laughs> sure. but that's just the uh, the way it's gone. Sort of. Um, I think I think Mario again. If he would have coached even through the ball, and even if he would coached through twenty twenty two, like he would have positioned himself to at least you'd have a discussion about the heights of what he had done compared to like the heights of Alain Casanova. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from Casanova, but that's a coach who. I think had barely a 500 career win percentage. He was 82 and 78 and 73 and eight because they had eight ties back then because this is the 1950s and 60s and everyone just tied. It was a career below um, 500 win percentage in conference games that was back in the Athletic Association of Western Universities. This tells you, this dates you a little bit. This oh, is nice. this is not the Pac-12. They oh. joined the Pac-8 right after um, he took off. Um, but needless to say, the history really doesn't pick up until – Rich Brooks arrived in, in 77 and really even Rich Brooks's success really only picks up around 1988 or 89 when they start winning eight or nine games and then obviously finish it with the Rose Bowl. Bilotti's an easy choice. He was here for a long time. They had one year where they didn't make a bowl and that was in 04. Every other year they made a bowl game or at least won six games. Chip Kelly speaks for itself with the success he had going 46 and seven. Mark Cristobal, like to me, is kind of like right in that 
in that conversation. Um, but I don't believe he deserves to be on it. And honestly, it's, it kind of would be hard for me to include him, especially in the days of what just happened, because I think emotionally you're kind of like, that didn't feel really savory. I don't like that. Uh, I wouldn't quite classify him in the Willie Taggart bucket of sadness because Taggart did almost nothing at Oregon. It was one year and he bounced. I understand they both left in very similar ways. Um, Cristobal uh, stuck it out for four years, which maybe depending on who you are, it's better or worse. I'm not sure, but um, I would differentiate those two a little bit, but I still think it's Brooks, Kelly, Casanova, and Bellotti on my personal Mount Rushmore of coaches. Um, Matt, do you have a disagreement? Like, do either of you even have a disagreement? Like, do we, do, would you put Mark Cristobal among the four best coaches Oregon's had? No. Yeah. No. Um, um, I would not. My, 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 again, my knowledge of Oregon football doesn't go as far as you guys, but and just in general, I would go with no. Yeah, I think it's a no. And uh, I, I would be surprised, I guess, if people totally put him there. I could see, depending on who the next hire is, and if the next hire really elevates the program further and they win a championship like quickly, you could make an argument that Mario Cristobal kind of played a similar role to Rich Brooks, where he laid the foundation of elevating the program again and putting yourself in position to take a jump. And maybe that's a conversation to have like retroactively in like eight years. Um, right now, it just feels like he, he did a lot for you. He showed you could recruit at a super high level. He won marquee games. He won a Rose Bowl. He won two conference championships, won a divisional championship. Like collectively what he did here was definitely a net positive. Um, I just have an issue with really just the, again, the longevity of the duration here. Um, I know it's the same number of years as Chip Kelly, but I think Chip accomplished more. Um, uh, and, and also just the way it's ended recently. It, it feels a little unsavory to include him on the top four. But again, I think those listening, I'd be curious, like if, if you if you feel really differently, which maybe maybe you do, um, let us know in the comments or let us know on DuckTarryTar.com. Start a, start a thread about why you think Mario Cristobal is a top four coach in Oregon history. I'm willing to be proven wrong if you if you think you have the data and the, and the, and the opinion to do something. I think had Mario stayed at Oregon one or two more years and they had won the conference one or two more years and won a Rose Bowl or made the college football playoff, they don't even need to win. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Then, then you have him in the top four coaches at Oregon. Um, but the fact that he's not finishing out his fourth year, he won just two bowl games one of them is a Rose Bowl, so that does matter. He never made the comp he never made the college football playoff. Two times in his time at Oregon, they had opportunities where they needed to win two or three games and they're in, and they were grossly upset and bad manners. Um, he did win the conference twice, so that matters as well. He played for a third championship. But I just think he wasn't here long enough to justify it, and he didn't win big enough. Mm -hmm. in a short period of time, like Chip did, to justify it. I mean, even Mark Helfrich, if you really wanted to, and I know Helfrich left on much worse terms, in my opinion, because he was fired after really bottoming the program. He played for a national championship, which to me would even kind of differentiate his career achievements from, from Mario. I'm not actually, I would probably still pick Mario over Mark just because of how it played out. But if you're talking like the heights of what you've accomplished, um, Mark, Mark got them to a higher level went the one year. I, I agree with Matt where it's like if Mario were here for two to three more years, mm -hmm. I think yeah, just with his guys, his players that he recruited because he was still – I mean, when he first came to Oregon, it was still uh, you know Helfrich's guys and Taggart's guys. Um, I think he could have potentially gotten there on the, on the Mount Rushmore of, of Oregon coaches. Um, again, he competed for playoff, playoff opportunities two times. Um, Obviously, this year went pretty downhill in the last three weeks, but it was still, you could still see where the potential of the program in general. And I feel like that has to be, um, you know, it has to be put onto his resume here. And uh, clearly, he didn't reach that potential, but it was, these, he produced some really good football teams, some very memorable Oregon football teams as well. Um, and he also had to deal with the pandemic shortened season of 2020, which was, uh, extremely difficult for for everybody in the world, um, let alone trying to coach football. So it was. Uh, I, I still feel like he. I mean, for me and and being young, I'm 24. In case people didn't realize this, um, he's. He, it resonates a little bit more with me because I don't have as 
good of a memory of you know past coaches um, like Rich Brooks or, or Bilotti. Um, Mario, to me, felt like somebody who could change the program in terms of a national level and was close to doing so. I feel like in another two or three years, had he stayed, it would have been that kind of way. Yeah, I think you could argue had that he stayed um, three or four years more, he probably would have left as the greatest head coach at Oregon, which is kind of funny to, to, to think about just the arcs of his career, what they are and what they could have been. But it's another discussion at another time. That's all we got today, Matt. Those are our yeah. seven questions. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. Remember, go to duckterritory.com. Sign up for a membership today. 50% off your membership. Join a bunch of, bunch of other Duck fans. Hundreds of people have signed up the last couple of days. We really appreciate all the, the all of the, um, I guess, support and confidence in our reporting. So make sure to check that out if you're curious. Uh, we're going to be off for a couple of days. We might be back on Friday, um, kind of recapping the week and where things stand. Um, if news breaks, we'll we'll certainly get on here and do another one. But look for a show Friday, Saturday, maybe Monday. Um, but until then, you're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.